606. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or Patreon.com slash Spirit Blade Productions on the show today. Wow, lots of video game stuff going on, but that's not all. First, uh, I'm going to give reactions to the PlayStation 5 Future of Gaming event. Reactions to IGN's Summer of Gaming Expo, at least the first uh, day about. Uh, And then the Escapist Indie Showcase was also uh, put up this week and had a ton of games. Uh, and I'm going to be reacting to that as well. And then the guys from the Retro Rewind podcast join me for a back-of-the-box retro fantasy movie quiz. And then we also talk about the highs and lows, the most enjoyable movies and the least enjoyable movies that each of us have uh, had to watch as part of me as a guest and them as the regular hosts as part of being uh, involved in the Retro Rewind podcast. So that was a lot of fun. Looking forward to sharing that conversation with you. Uh, plus, of course, a few more assorted topics based on your questions, comments, feedback, and all that kind of stuff, and my Geek Week. So you can check the timestamps for more details. But for now, here we go. Nice. Another achievement unlocked. I bet I got more achievements than anybody I know. Yes, sitting in front of a video game for five hours a day is quite an achievement. See, this is why I don't like talking to you. Then why don't you spend more time with real people? Because real people don't respond to console commands. Wow, Peter. You unlocked yet another achievement. You must have more achievements than anyone you know. Behold, you are great, and greatly to be praised. Yeah, better. Giving you just some brief reactions to the IGN Expo Day 1 that featured some new trailer reveals and gameplay and stuff like that. Uh, It ran about two and a half hours and it had a lot of interesting content. It's kind of hard to believe that they're going to be doing three more days of this and I plan to be reacting to those as well, assuming that there are things in them that I feel are specifically worth me reacting to uh, at Christian Geek Central. So uh, let me just go through some of the highlights for me. The first was Metal Hellsinger. Um, This one is some kind of a first-person rhythm game shooter where to the beat of heavy metal, death metal soundtracks, you are in a first-person shooter traveling through presumably hell and blowing away demons with, you know, double-fisting it with with a gun in each hand. And you get extra points. I think it's some kind of a... It looks like it's a score chaser of some kind, even though it does have a story uh, that you make your way through. Uh, A big component is this score chaser component uh, where you get more points if you shoot and actually finish off your enemies 
to the beat of the music that is playing. And I think this is actually a really, really cool idea. I mean, the setting is the stereotypical, unbiblical, totally tradition-based vision of hell. Uh, But the concept of, like, shooting to the beat and combining... I mean, I think ever since The Matrix came out and people were making observations that, oh, the fight choreography is somewhat dance-like, I've had the idea in my head of, like, I would like to see something that combines uh, musical performances and combat so that all of the strikes and hits, you know, I was thinking more melee combat, would be to the beat in some sense uh, with with the music. Um, and so seeing something like this come about is very interesting to me. I know we've had Crypt of the Necro Dancer, you know, but uh, this is on a, just a different level, you know. It's a little bit closer to that AAA kind of treatment. So I'll be curious to see what comes of that. The other, uh, the second game that jumped out to me is from Twip, Tripwire Interactive, which at its head, uh, it's not a Christian company, but uh, John Gibson, who, uh, who runs Tripwire Interactive, is at the head. I can't remember what his position is called president maybe anyway he's a christian so i'm always interested in seeing kind of what uh, that company is doing you know um and chivalry 2 uh they're going to be releasing and this trailer is i mean it's not a game for me because it doesn't have any fantasy elements and i typically am not going to be interested in just straight up historical straight up medieval and this game seems to be uh, doing quite a bit of that uh but it's it still has something of a stylistic flair to it, I guess, with the music that they were using and stuff and some of the way that they would portray, you know, the, the action and the combat and the violence and stuff. Uh, but one thing that kind of stood out to me that, like, was a big feature of the game is that you can burn villages. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, it's, for me, it, it's interesting, you know, how we each feel given certain scenarios that we are playing out in a video game. And some of us are going to react negatively and feel kind of icky about certain scenarios that we're playing out and some of us aren't going to care it's going to be different for me sometimes even on a day-to-day or kind of like a season-to-season of life basis you know but uh i was looking at this like you know if it was like really fantastical and weird and dark and and had an alien kind of quality to it and someone was saying destroy this village or whatever you know then you know i could kind of put on my mustache twirly hat and uh, you know probably have a good time with something like that thematically but the fact that it's so based in history and visually in many ways it has a very grounded feel to it i'm thinking man stuff like this happened you know uh so that's not to say that i think that it's a sin to play and enjoy a game like that but it does give me personally pause if you're curious more about kind of like how do we navigate that is it okay ever to be playing an evil character in a game i've posted a video you might be interested in called can christians be evil in games if you just search that on our youtube channel at christian geek central uh then you should be able to find it i'll if i remember i'll try to put a link uh in the uh in the description below Next game that jumped out to me was Wasteland 3. I've got my eye on this because I enjoyed a number of elements about Wasteland 2, but ultimately my attacks just missed way, way, way more often than I thought they should, given the percentage chance that they were showing to me, and so I just kind of gave up on that game. Uh, But it looks like there are going to be some quality of life features added. I don't know if that in particular is going to be improved on, you know, the the actual hitting your targets in accordance with the percentages given. Uh, But some other quality of life things that concerned me about the first game or bothered me, I should say, about the first game uh, seem to be improved. So I've got my eye on it. Thematically, it looks like there's a sect in this world of Wasteland 3 that is kind of worshipping President Reagan, you know. And it's no surprise to me that, like, the bad guys in a video game are going to be 
people that have a conservative bent of some kind, obviously this is a psychotically conservative bent if they're worshiping uh, a, a president of the United States. Um, but uh, what was, you know, so it's, I mean, I mean, those that are in the entertainment industry, they tend to lean liberal just in wide demographic, you know, uh, uh, estimates or whatever the word is I was looking for there, but um, in, generally speaking. But uh, what stood out to me that I think is worth taking note of, you know, right now we have this really uh, intensely politically charged, emotionally charged environment, um, both with recent events and also with the, you know, elections coming up in the fall. And I looked at that trailer and it was just a reminder to me that like, you know, even though uh, cons many Christians are conservative, probably statistically, at least evangelicals lean more toward uh, being politically conservative. Uh, you know, the, the conservative side is the side that should be saying, we don't trust government. We don't, you know, we don't want to give power to government you know but yet i've seen a trend since and even the uh, election that led to uh, the election that led to obama being elected i saw trends at that time that uh, many conservatives and i'm sure they were evangelical christians among them that were like uh casting all of their hopes on the republican candidate you know and so seeing this was just a reminder to me it's like yeah we got to be really careful as believers, that we are not putting our hopes in some political candidate, you know, even if their policies do line up with a lot of biblical things, and you know, we should not be putting our hope and uh, you know just so recklessly cheering them on in a way that kind of translates to worship. So uh, anyway, hopefully that'll Wasteland Three will be mechanically the type of game I'm interested in. Uh, I like that post-apocalyptic stuff. I like turn-based strategy RPGs, if, you know, if they're not super uber tactical. Uh, so yeah, I'll keep an eye out for that. What I am really interested in, this Pathfinder Kingmaker, that's coming August 18th to consoles. Finally, love me some fantasy real-time with pause combat instead of the, the turn-based combat that is so much more popular when it comes to those kinds of games. I like that real-time with pause. This game's going to give it to me, and it's going to give it to me on a console, which is the only way I want to play it, or at least with a gamepad and a user interface that's designed to be used with gamepad, which usually doesn't happen on PC. <laughs> anyway, moving on. And the last game that jumped out to me was Mortal Shell. That's coming out in uh, 2020. Uh, the developers, in talking about this game and their inspirations from the uh, the Dark Souls games that it's inspired by, talked about how uh, some of them talked about how uh, they they really feel like games like this can be good for you, you know. Um, and uh, and I and I thought that was really interesting. And I, I've 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 pondered that now and then. I'm the type of person that doesn't like challenging games because of a character flaw in me that really just doesn't like losing, doesn't like failing. In real life, I really, really hesitate to take on things that I don't think I'm going to be naturally good at, you know, and so uh, it, it did It did make me think, well, maybe it would be character building for me in some way to uh, take on a really difficult video game like the, the Souls-like games, but at the end of the day, when I'm wanting to do my entertainment time and relax at the end, I'm like, I'm tired, I had a whole day that was testing my character. <laughs> I really don't want to lean into that more during my game time. But uh, I think it was interesting, and I, and I would agree that there probably is some, uh, uh, some potential there for that to be a, a worthwhile exercise in addition to all the nerdy fun that games like that can be for the right kind of audience. When they were talking about the, um, the, the world... Uh, well, maybe not the world so much. 
when they were talking about the early development and getting to know each other uh, as developers, they talked a little bit about how they would get into uh, debates about the merits of nihilism, uh, which was very interesting to me. This game world looks very hopeless and dark and bleak. And uh, the developers said about this world that everyone in it, the player's character and the NPCs you, in you encounter, are searching for meaning. Some find it and some don't. And so the fact that like at least one of the developers uh, is probably, you know, leaning in the direction of nihilism in their pers personal philosophy, um, or maybe not. Maybe it was clearly an, you know, purely, excuse me, an academic discussion. So I could give them the benefit of the doubt. But uh, clearly they're interested in um, examining these deep philosophical questions and uh, the, the lore of the game itself is about these characters trying to find meaning. So I will be very interested to see, even though this is not going to be the type of game that I'm going to play, I'll be interested to maybe see if I can glean from further previews of the game or reviews or whatever, uh, what statements they may or may not be making, uh, you know, openly or implicitly about the meaning of life and, and how we can find meaning, where, where we can find meaning from. Is it objective meaning or is it just kind of like the feeling of having meaning, you know, which a nihilist would say there's there's no objective meaning. It's all pointless, and, you know, and so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of where that where that game lands on that. It's coming uh, sometime in 2020, as I said, there's a beta coming to PC July 3rd. So if you're a PC player and interested in that, you can keep an eye out for that. Um, and in the trailer, just as a closing remark on this one, um, the trailer, the opening words are of the presumably the main character. I do not deserve abs absolution, yet still I seek it. And so uh, I, I don't think that it's going to have any uh, biblically inspired uh, uh, philosophy in its narrative, but it certainly seems to be something that is just uh, uh, suffused, is that the word I'm looking for, with uh, philosophy and with some kind of dialogue, at least passively, about some really deep issues of life. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Anyway, that's all I have to say for now. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Uh, today, the event that was easily most anticipated by fans was the PlayStation 5 Future of Gaming show, uh, which was streamed in all kinds of places. I watched it on the PlayStation YouTube channel. There was a lot of stuff in the, I want to say, hour and 15 minutes that the show ran. I'm only going to go over like some highlights of particular interest to me, things that stood out to me for one reason or another. Uh, the first thing that jumped out was the trailer for Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, coming in holiday 2020. Did have the PlayStation 5 logo. Uh, the, you know, Spider-Man is a, a PlayStation 4 game. Marvel Spider-Man. Uh, so this says to me that either this one is going to be playable on plays like the Spider-Man for PS4 will be playable on PlayStation 5. Or maybe this is a standalone uh, expansion type of thing. I would be a, I would be a bit surprised if already they had basically a new Spider-Man game that was all about 
Miles Morales. Maybe that is what they're getting at. Uh, but that's coming out a holiday 2020. I'm thinking it's got to be something uh, on, a, on a smaller scale than that, though. They used a couple of taglines in promoting the game. One was, Be Greater. And then that went away from the screen. And then the next thing that showed up was, Be Yourself. And uh, those things each have, you know, their, their own value. We want to be ourselves in terms of, you know, being authentic and being transparent as much as we can be. But if by be yourself you mean just be who you are, don't try to be anything else, that doesn't quite work with be greater. Uh, I feel like these are like two examples of, of pop culture slogans, pop, philo pop phil philosophy slogans that get thrown around that aren't really examined. Um, <laughs> don't think those two in particular go really well together. Uh, I would rather be greater and uh, be better than I currently am um, instead of just being myself. But anyway, just thought that was interesting. The next one that jumped out to me was called Returnal. Uh, this is an unusual sci-fi game involving a, a woman, an astronaut, who keeps crashing on the same planet and dying and kind of experiencing this loop over and over again, but the world changes as she is, you know, uh, having this experience again and again, dying again and again. That kind of gameplay doesn't sound very uh, appealing to me, but what I found inter interesting was that the studio producing it or creating it is Housemark, and these are the guys known for uh, games like Resogun, these very arcade type shooters, and now the fact that they're making uh, what much more looks like a big AAA type of game uh, makes Makes me curious as to what the gameplay is going to be like when they're so known for their arcadey style shooters of different varieties. So uh, I will definitely be keeping Returnal on my radar. Next up, what jumped out to me was a game called, let's see here, Kina Bridge of Spirits. Uh, let's see, what do my notes say here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this one doesn't look like the gameplay is going to be my thing. Um, but I just happened to notice that the developers said that it deals, it explores themes of personal growth and redemption. And it looks like it's pulling from Eastern religion or Eastern mythology in some way as it does that. Uh, but that just caught my eye. It'll be interesting to see what this game implicitly has to say about personal growth, how personal growth works, or as believers in Christ, uh, we would call that sanctification, the, the process of being set apart more and more for the purposes that God has for us and for the world. Um, and redemption, of course, is a major word in the Christian faith, but it's handled and brought about very, very differently in all other uh, worldviews. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what their take is, what they're saying in that story about personal growth and redemption in particular. Uh, the next game that jumped out to me was Ghostwire Tokyo. For the first time, I think, unless I missed it last time, they kind of pr promoted this game at E3 last year. I was getting more of a sense of the gameplay. It looks like it's going to be a, a supernatural horror action game, maybe, of some kind. It certainly looks like it's drawing from... Uh, Asian horror films for its inspiration of like you're fighting ghosts and weird creatures of the night, you know, and supernatural beings. Uh, but it's in a first person mode and you're using these kind of like energy blasting powers. It, it, it's a, it'll look like a first person, you know, spellcaster or something like that. I don't know what it is exactly that you're doing. Um, and, you know, as was the case with a lot of games um, in this showcase, I still didn't get a sense of what the what type of game it is. Is this an RPG of any kind? Am I going to be able to... Because that's really important to me, because I'm terrible at games. And so I like to have those RPG mechanics that I can lean on to grind so that I can make my way through the story. Until I know, kind of 
kind of what the mechanics of a game are, then I'm, I really only get, you know, less than half heartedly invested in the story in the world because sure if it's a cool looking world i want to see the the world i want to see the story but the gameplay unless it has some grindy elements that will allow me to compensate for my bad skills the gameplay is going to prohibit me from enjoying the exploration of the really cool looking world that a developer might create so i really felt like in this entire showcase i wanted to uh, i would have preferred i think fewer games and a deeper dive on the games that we saw so I could know, okay, what is this? Is this an experience for me? You know, but I understand them at this point, you know, from a marketing uh, standpoint, wanting to just kind of tease us with as many different things as possible that they are associating with their new platform uh, to try and hit as many different gamers and gamers' interests as possible. Um, let's see here. The next game was uh, Godfall. It, I mean, the next game that got my attention anyway. There was a game called Jet the Far Shore coming holiday 2020. They didn't show near enough again for me to know is this going to be for me or not. But Godfall we had teased uh, at least six months ago. Was that at the Game Awards of 2019 or was that E3? I can't remember. I think it was Game Awards 2019. And this is being described by the developers as a looter slasher. Uh, and that term, you know, is kind of born of the looter-shooter term that has been used to describe Borderlands and games that kind of uh, mimic that a little bit, like a first-person shooter, but it's also very loot-based, you know. Uh, and so this is being called a looter-slasher. I don't know how much it's going to have in common with Diablo. It's looking like a third-person, uh, kind of like stylish action game in a in a fantasy setting that looks kind of cool but again i'm the kind of person that you know i get they want to show their graphics and stuff i want to see the hud elements so i can get a better sense of what this game is you know for for a game that's marketed so far as a looter slasher i, I haven't gotten any sense of looting you know they did show some put some keywords up about you know mastering certain weapons but not about acquiring certain weapons and so the language they're using to promote it in this little teaser uh didn't didn't do anything to um, to bring out the looter slasher element. Just a lot of cool-looking slasher stuff. Uh, let's see. I'm sure of note to many gamers uh, will be Demon Souls. The remake or remaster, I think we can probably call it a remake. I mean, it looked like far more than just kind of a, a like a, an up-res of graphics. It looked like, you know, really nice... Uh, I, not a reinvention, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm not familiar enough with Demon Souls to be able to say. But, man, again, when I see trailers for these Souls-like games, uh, there's this trend now where uh, dark aesthetics are always being attached to punishing gameplay. And I like dark aesthetics, but I hate punishing gameplay. And so when I see the aesthetics of Demon Souls and other games like it, I'm like, oh man, that world looks really cool. I'd like to explore that world and and you know do things in that world, but I just don't want to be beat down in that world, you know. Uh so anyway, I don't know. Recently I've been thinking should I give the Souls-like games uh, another thought? Should I give them some consideration? You know, we'll see. I, I, I highly suspect that there's just going to be too many other games that I will much more easily enjoy. Um, I think also pleasing to fans of the Resident Evil series is Village, which was then revealed to actually be Resident Evil 8. Uh, that's coming in 2021. I'm not a fan of that series, so I don't really have anything to say about it, but uh, I'm sure that's going to be of note to a lot of gamers. One game near the end that caught my eye was called Pragmata, or Pragmata. I don't know how they're going to pronounce it out loud. That's coming in 2022. I was getting um, 
uh, Death Stranding vibes from this one. I don't. I didn't check to see. Gosh, I should have. Uh, if uh, if it has anything in common with that studio, probably not. But uh, it. I was just getting those kind. In fact, you know what it did? It made me want to like go back and maybe consider giving Death Stranding another try. <laughs> uh, and it might as well because it's not coming out till 2022 anyway. Uh, the final game that really got my attention, and uh, I think probably the game that's going to connect with the largest number of PlayStation gamers that watched this was Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, we, you know, had every reason to suspect that we were going to be seeing this pretty soon, and uh, uh, so I wasn't surprised to see it. I was also not surprised, but I will say a little disappointed that Aloy is the returning protagonist. I... <laughs> I'm not going to spoil anything about the end of the first game, but... I really wanted Silence to be the protagonist. Uh, you know, the way they left that character, I was like, ooh, that would be a like a daring, edgy choice. And uh, it would be just interesting to play as Silence, you know. And uh, Aloy rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I thought she had a chip on her shoulder. Kind of a, in, in some ways in, in particular, a very anti-theist chip on her shoulder. Uh, but maybe they'll be exploring different themes enough. I feel like the, the things they... It wanted to explore about theism if they retread the same ground of like, you know, uh, theism is primitive, science will save us, you know, that kind of thing. If they're going to retre retread that ground, I'd be a little bit surprised. If thematically in this trailer, it doesn't look like that's kind of what it's going to be about, but who knows? Um... Yeah, it'll be interesting. So hopefully she'll have less of a chip on her shoulder. She's figured out her sense of origins and where she came from, you know. And at the end of the first game, she has maybe a sense of self and maybe she'll just feel a little less like an outcast or whatever and we can kind of move on and just see a totally different side. For me, a more likable side of Aloy's personality. I know a lot of people loved Aloy uh, and those personality traits of hers didn't jump out as much to them or maybe at all to them as they did for me. But uh, I, I, am, I am hoping that with this new theme it looks like this game is going to be playing with um, that we'll also get kind of a new Aloy. But uh, that remains to be seen. I was at least glad to see Silence in the uh, the trailer, I'm growing. I'm I've come to enjoy that actor more and more because since playing uh, the original Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, I've become a fan of Bosch on Amazon Prime, and I've also seen him in some old uh, what is that? To, what's that show called? You know the show, the sci-fi one. That's like uh, strange. No, it's not strange. Anything Fringe, Fringe. That's what it's called. Uh, I stopped watching that show, but I've been liking Bosch, and anyway, and he's in it, and I like him in it. So. All the more reason to look forward to seeing him again in this one. Uh, and then finally they closed up uh, giving us a look at the PlayStation 5, the actual box itself, along with the controller, of course. And a little bit of a reveal was that alongside the uh, disc version, there will be a discless uh, version that's called the PlayStation 5 Digital Edition, which, uh, you know, makes me wonder which one I'll end up purchasing. Actually, no, it doesn't. I'm going to get the disc version. Uh, I'll I might consider getting the discless version of whatever Xbox does, but I think that's, I think it makes sense that they would come out with two different models, you know, um, and so, yeah, it's the, no price, no price yet. Uh, I imagine that there'll be more that we're going to see about the uh, the box maybe even uh, before the summer is done hopefully uh, but yeah that's all that jumped out to me uh, for this show there wasn't a ton that was really for me 
Uh, I thought there was a lot of kind of um, indie-looking stuff, or kind of in the in the A space, not the indie space, not the double A space, but if there is such a thing, the A space, you know, where independent studios are able to make some pretty good-looking uh, games, you know, uh, but. But still, you know, not uh, not necessarily grabbing me. I'd be curious to hear what grabbed you in this presentation. Uh, so if you want to leave your, your comments or get in touch with me however way you see fit, uh, I would be interested to hear from you. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. This week, over at uh, spiritblade.com, and going until June 21st, uh, we've got our audio drama sale. Big discounts on uh, all of our audio dramas. Uh, you can always download Spiritblade Legacy Edition for free. So now would be a great time to go download that, listen to it, see if it's your cup of tea. Because if it is, you can get parts two and three of that trilogy for uh, significantly less, but only until June 21st. That means time is running out, so I hope you'll consider taking advantage of that. There's trailers and stuff you can listen to as well if you don't want to listen to the whole thing to sample it. You can uh, listen to the trailers for all three parts of that trilogy and to see if it piques your interest. Then over at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral, I posted a bunch of videos this week. First, God's Specific Love for You. Uh, is the title of the video, and I'm also playing Darkest Dungeon, which is a new game for me, and uh, I've really, really been enjoying that, and you might think, what in the world does Darkest Dungeon have in common <laughs> with God's specific love for you, but for me, there was actually a, a, a really noticeable kind of a connecting point between the two. Anyway, that's part of my Quarantine Escape Hatch series, a series designed to hopefully help you first just kind of dis, uh, kind of like a re uh what's what's the word reset hit the reset button from the middle of your workday maybe or just your time spent in quarantine or you know everybody's dealing with different circumstances right now and change in life uh even if it's not a horrible change it can still bring stress just because change change is change you know uh so anyway that's uh that series is intended each episode to give you kind of a reset point for your day and then also um, some ways that you can re-engage with your day and find some uh, fulfillment, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. So uh, that's there for you, uh, hopefully to be a useful resource. Then I uh, posted also my reaction to the IGN Expo Day 1, and they shared a number of uh, trailers and game previews and stuff, some exclusive stuff. So that's been neat to see. This week has definitely felt... Uh, like the first week that like, okay, now this is really starting to feel like E3. Like there's a lot of stuff keeping me busy looking at the video game stuff all day and reacting to it, you know. Um, and I think next week is going to be just as, if not more busy. But anyway, I uh, react to day one of IGN's Expo. Then also, of course, I posted a video about the uh, PlayStation 5 Future of Gaming digital event where they showed some of the games that are going to be coming to PlayStation 5 and then also gave us our first look at the console itself. So I give you my reactions to that. And I also posted the video Escapist Indie Showcase Reactions. There was just a ton of games uh, there. So uh, And with all these videos, you can also, while you're listening to me talk about my reactions to it, I'm showing uh, gameplay footage and trailer footage and stuff so that you can kind of get a, a really quick and easy visual representation of what I'm talking about. Um, I may or may not, I'm recording this on uh, Friday morning and Friday afternoon, this afternoon, IGN is going to be putting up day three of their expo. I'm going to watch that and see if there's anything 
you know, that I feel like is worth me making a video to react to. Otherwise, you know, anything that I don't kind of make a specific video for, I'll eventually, you know, potentially talk about in kind of a catch-all video at the end of the un-E3 season. But uh, you can, you know, keep an eye out and see. Uh, I do plan um, to be uh, putting up videos this weekend for the PC gaming show that's that's coming tomorrow, Saturday the uh, 13th, along with uh, the last day of IGN's um, uh, game expo, whatever the crap you call it. And then there's going to be an, in, an indie game digital event that's three days in a row starting tomorrow as well. So you can uh, probably plan on seeing a- at least two videos from me, maybe three or more uh, over the weekend. So, uh, And then also today, if video games are not your thing, but uh, you know, you're more into the, uh, the you know, movies and stuff like that, and you want to see... Uh, the very handsome men of the Retro Rewind podcast, then you can watch the video version of my time spent hanging out and talking about uh, old fantasy movies, quizzing them on old fantasy movies, and talking about the highs and lows of the movies they've reviewed (laughs) over at the Retro Rewind podcast. Uh, That video is titled Retro Fantasy Movie Quiz uh with the retro rewind podcast so anyway all that over at youtube.com slash christian geek central while you're there please like share subscribe and then click that notification bell that's how you can be sure that you'll be notified when new videos come up so that you don't miss out on any of the content that's uh bubbling up on our channel and anything else you want to do to to stay connected to the content yourself or share it with others i would really really be grateful for uh there are no christian geekly news highlights from our twitter feed at christian underscore geek this week because i've just been too crazy busy with on e3 but if you do want links to various stories that uh, are you know newsworthy items of particular interest to christian geeks you uh, would want to be sure and follow our uh, twitter uh, account over at christian underscore geek uh let's see what else oh patreon.com slash spirit blade productions I posted uh, an announcement this week titled Campfire Quest Postponed and Other Changes. Uh, Some of you guys might know that I have been working um, on on an ongoing audio drama project that will eventually be uh, a monthly, a short monthly audio drama podcast about an adventuring, a fantasy adventuring party like you would run into in a typical D&D game or D&D style tabletop game and stuff. So it's about their adventures and uh, the first season is going to be uh, six episodes long and we'll see if there are any seasons after that. Uh, you know, it will be a self-contained story if I decide not to make any stories about uh, this group after that. But anyway, that's kind of been in the works for a little while and uh, but it is going to be postponed for the time being. I'll just share what I posted over at uh, patreon.com slash spiritplayproductions. I wanted to give you all the heads up that production for the Campfire Quest audio drama podcast has been postponed for the time being. In the challenging times we are in, several patrons have had to reduce or completely withdraw their support of Spirit Blade Productions. This has brought our funding to around $50 less per month than it was. It's a situation I was prepared to face, and my work as a whole has not been impacted at this point. But the reduced funds, as well as the realities of the economy that patrons face, have led me to want to shift focus to creating content for patrons that much more immediately rewards their support. In addition to that being a more immediate expression of my gratitude, uh, or appreciation, excuse me, I guess either word works. I don't know why I said gratitude. I'm, it's right there in front of you, Peter. You're just reading what you wrote. <laughs> um, 
In addition to that being a more immediate expression of my appreciation to you patrons, I hope it will also incentivize incentivize those who are not yet patrons to join and support Spirit Play Productions at the $1 level. I plan to continue producing episodes of Skyrim The Rise of Elderast, although they may reduce in frequency, hopefully not less than once a month, we'll see. I will also continue producing installments of the Quarantine Escape Hatch series until that no longer seems to be the best focus of my efforts. I'll be keeping an eye on how quarantine does or does not seem to be affecting viewers uh, and listeners and continue or end that series as seems appropriate. As for what the alternate content creation will involve, uh, by that I mean that the that will which will be more immediately um, rewarding to patrons. I don't know yet what that will be. With June being extremely busy because of un-E3, I likely won't have time to give it serious thought until at least July, but I imagine I will take another look at the content options I presented to you patrons to vote on months ago, as well as consider new ideas that come to mind. I will almost certainly be asking uh, for your feedback, patrons, before any final decisions about that have been made. Uh, on that note, patrons, as always, I'd welcome your ideas, your feedback, your questions, or anything else you want to share with me. You can comment, um, uh, let's see, well, below that post at patreon.com slash spiritplayproductions. You can send me a message through Patreon, or you can reach me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com. Um, so, once again, all of you insiders, all of my patrons, I'm so grateful for your continued support, uh, for your understanding as I try to remain nimble in content creation, responding to the current needs of the community while also trying to increase stability for this ministry into the future. So thank you all so much for your uh, patience and understanding in that. And as a reminder to everyone, for as little as $1 a month, you can help make sure my efforts keep going and growing into the future and get yourself a ton of exclusive archived and ongoing content that's just for patrons. There's a lot that has built up over the last couple of years that you would have immediate access to. Uh, and at 30 patrons, we're five away right now, we're going to have a pizza with an asterisk party over on Discord. So for more information, visit patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. Now it's time for the weekly waistline. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27 in the ESV says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Uh, As geeks were known for creativity and excellence, not especially for self-control when it comes to the pleasures of life, so 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27 has been the mission verse for me as I aim to be more responsible with my body and grow in my ability to say no to my desires. My goal has been to lose 6 inches off my starting waistline of 42 inches. Since I need some help as I develop this discipline, there is a prize pool of fun money waiting for me at the end. For more details about the whole thing, episode 565 is the one you want. For now, my weekly waistline is, big shocker, still no change, 38.5. That's, uh, are we on eight weeks now that I've been at that measurement? I'm not sure. Anyway, I did flirt this week with 38.25. You know, I, I uh, at first I thought I was only going to give you the half-inch measurements and, like, round up or round down. And very early on, I ended up, you know, uh, including quarter-inch measurements as well. But there are still times where, 
you know, it's kind of like, oh, what is this? Is this, is this, you know, the, the, should I round down, round up? Where is this at? And uh, so this week in my measurement, I, I definitely was flirting with 38.25. Um, but I decided, no, I'm not, I'm definitely, I definitely can't round down, but I'm really close to being, you know, halfway between. But anyway, increments like that are so small, it's almost not worth mentioning, but I'm feeling good and I'm feeling motivated. You know, I mentioned, I think last week that I went back to kind of a previous dietary, uh, intake compared to what I had been doing for about four weeks or so. And getting back on that has been has been really good. I think it's the right move for me. I think it's where I'm going to uh, be much more likely to continue seeing progress. I did have one bad day, uh, just uh, just kind of a, a stressful day, and kind of gave in to some uh, treats and stuff. But healthier treats. That's one thing I noticed is that I've been more content than I would have been, you know, even just a few months ago. To uh, enjoy healthier treats instead of just going to the absolutely, you know, best tasting, worst for my body treats, you know, uh, like the, the healthier treats have been like treats enough for me, you know? Um, and, uh, and I've also, you know, as I'm heading into an E3, you know, that's a time where I'm usually eating some, uh, treat foods and snacks and stuff like that. And, even here in the thick of it, as uh, as I am now, I am totally content to just be enjoying these uh, healthier treat options that I've found, you know. Um, and uh, I'm surprisingly not discouraged at being at the same measurement, you know, for so many weeks in a row. I mean, yeah, of course I want to see movement, but um, I'm not giving in to old habits, you know. I'm not losing intentionality and awareness in the choices that I make. And that's half of what I want to develop in this process is just this is developing the the discipline of always being intentional. You know, Um, I mean, there's that's I mean, that's what we want to be as believers in all areas of our life. We don't want to ever like turn our brains off and just like consume whatever we want in terms of entertainment or food, you know. Um, and I, I, I certainly can't say that's been the case for me with food for most of my life. Uh, but even now, as I'm not, as I'm kind of at a, at a static spot, seemingly in my measurements, um, I'm not discouraged. I'm feeling good, and uh, and I'm noticing that I'm still every bit intentional in the choices that I'm making. So, you know, I'm just sticking to it and plodding onward. And uh, I think there, who was it? That was it was our, our the senior pastor of well, the founding pastor. He's not senior pastor anymore. He's kind of a pseudo retiring now, but. You know, he just kind of talked about um, the life of faith as as being like plodding along, as like being, you know, that slow and steady kind of thing, where it's like, if you really try to, if you, if your faith is made up of these passionate bursts, you know, then you're going to have all these peaks and valleys, you're not going to be a stable person. What's really valuable in the long term is to develop spiritual discipline, spiritual habits, um, and spiritual norms in your life that you can really count on being there that are just a regular part of your life. And uh, you may not see those big peaks and, you know, but you also won't see those valleys, you know. Um, so anyway, I am, uh, I'm surprisingly content with, uh, <laughs> with not seeing change at the moment. 
Um, I, I don't know that that will last forever. I think probably in a couple more weeks, maybe if I don't see any changes, I might start uh, feeling discouraged. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm a little surprised that I'm not feeling discouraged right now. Anyway, whatever happens, I'm reminding myself again, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Stay tuned for another update on my weekly waistline next time. The Escapist Indie Showcase. I just found out about this digital event this morning as I was getting ready to watch PlayStation's event, and I realized just in time I could catch this one too, and I'm so glad that I did. Oh my gosh, there were a ton of games in this showcase. And, you know, the the, the term indie uh, just doesn't mean what it used to. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be something that really looks low budget or is only retro graphics, you know, retro pixelated graphics and stuff. There were some really, really nice looking games and just a ton of them. It, it was like... Uh, over two hours long. But after we got past the, the one hour mark, about 10 minutes after that, I was like, okay, we're going to end now, right? We're going to end. Part of that is because I was really pressed for time. I had PlayStation stuff to cover today, but oh my gosh. I decided because there is so much in this video to uh, first off recommend that you check it out yourself. Just put it on while you're doing something else and get exposed to a ton of games if you want to find some hidden gems that you might not otherwise hear about anywhere else. Uh, there were a lot of world premieres in uh, this event. Um, and uh, But I'm going to highlight specifically the ones that for whatever reason interest me and also uh, just to narrow it down a little bit so this video isn't you know crazy long and I can get it up. Um, I'm going to feature only games that are also coming to console, not no PC exclusives here with one exception, one exception. Uh, so the first game that I uh, want to mention is Windbound, and this is coming August 28th. A lot of these games are coming fairly soon. This one is like a, um, uh, looks like a survival game, an open world game where you are playing this girl who is... Uh, on an island and has to learn to hunt the various animals that are there, gather supplies and, and uh, you know, just kind of survive in the environment. And then you're also building this raft that over the course of the game, you develop from a mere raft into more of a, like a proper sailing vessel. And you're going from one island to the next, uh, learning about the new creatures on that, on you know, the next island that you go to and how to hunt them. And uh, it just looks like it's got some really neat variety and a lot of um, potential to scratch my exploration itch. Uh, so yeah, Windbound, that's coming August 28th. The next one that jumped out to me was Black Book. This one is coming in 2020 to PC and consoles. And this one, normally I wouldn't be into this art style. It's just a little bit too plain for me. It's got that kind of, uh, you know, low poly, low texture kind of look uh, that I'm typically not into. But it's got this very dark aesthetic. Um, and it's got like, a, it, it's about a sorceress who I think is trying to recover the, the loved one that she sacrificed. I don't know, it's some weird dark story. But what caught my interest was the aesthetic itself. And then also, blink and you'll miss it. But there is turn-based combat in this game. It's some kind of a fantasy turn-based RPG. 
with maybe also like a a card-based system? I don't know. I had to go back and watch the the moment a few times slowed down to like one quarter of the (laughs) normal speed, and I'm still not exactly sure what I saw, but I saw enough to know that I'm interested in seeing more of Black Book. Next up that interested me was Relicta. Uh, I've seen a trailer for this game before, saw a little bit more uh, gameplay this time around. This one's coming August 4th, so very soon, and there's actually a demo for it available right now on Steam, but it's also coming to consoles and uh, PC on August 4th. This one look was giving me kind of Portal vibes. You're on some kind of a strange planet or strange environment, and you have the ability to manipulate both magnetics and gravity, and you manipulate objects in order to solve environmental puzzles, but it's not just an abstract puzzle game. At least that's not what the trailers give me the impression of. Uh, it, you know, like Portal, it looks like it's going to have some story to it. In fact, it looks like it's going to be leaning into story more than the Portal games did, even um, with you know lots of voice acting and characters that you're you know hearing over your uh, intercom and uh, and and like some. Uh, environmental dangers and hazards and stuff that you're going to have to overcome, and but but it doesn't look like it has any combat either. And so if you're if you're looking for an intense experience, but does that doesn't involve like killing you know other people, this might be a good option for you. It certainly looks very impressive for a quote unquote indie game. So I definitely have my eye on Relicta. The one PC game I'm making an exception for, just because the premise I thought was really worth talking about, is Fallen Angel. This one has a retro, you know, pixel art graphic style. It's coming to PC in fall uh, of, of this year, and it's got the tagline at the very end, God makes no mistakes. Uh, let me actually pull up the Steam page so I can properly uh, represent this game. It says, Become Lucifer and aim for the throne of heaven itself. Battle angelic armies and ascend through weird and warped holy realms in this stylish hack-and-slash action RPG. Now, I'm a fan of, you know, stylish hack-and-slash action RPGs, but, you know, obviously as a Christian, I have to at least raise an eyebrow at the premise here. Uh, Let's see here. Further description of the game reads, A stylish hack-and-slash action RPG with a sinful twist. Fallen Angel puts you in control of Lucifer himself, exiled from heaven eons ago. Now God has gone silent, and the archangels hatch their own plans for the divine realm. Set your sights on the top and brawl your way back into heaven for a reckoning with your creator. Now, I think as Christians, there can be a tendency for a knee-jerk reaction when we see a game like this uh, to say, oh, that's horrible, and stuff like, and kind of get all angry or whatever, you know. But uh, I I think seeing a game like this being made is really an opportunity to reflect and think about, well, what kind of, if not the developer themselves, what kind of trends in our thinking, in human thinking, lead to either coming up with a premise like this or feeling drawn to an experience like this. Uh, you notice that the depiction of angels and God is, is, you know, has them morally flawed. And I think when we are hurt, when we're disappointed with life, uh, we can start entertaining thoughts of, you know, why did God allow this to happen? Isn't God supposed to be good? Maybe he's not good. Or maybe he's not all powerful. Maybe he's limited or morally flawed in some way. Maybe the angels are too. And so we can start entertaining these ideas of a flawed God uh, and angels in heaven that uh, themselves are flawed and corrupt in some way, you know. And so uh, I think that, uh, you know, seeing a game like this uh, should just remind us of 
the, the people that are hurting in the world. Um, and not this, I'm not making any broad statements that, you know, that has to be where you're coming from if you develop a game like this. It has to be where you're at mentally and emotionally if you enjoy playing a game like this. I'm not trying to make any broad statements like that. All I'm saying is uh, that the, the fact that stories like this exist and that people are willing to entertain them says to me that it's connecting with some people on some level. And maybe they don't even realize themselves why they're connecting with it. But uh, I think that it presents some ideas that are worth thinking about uh and uh and certainly not you know reacting in a huff about but uh, to react instead with grace and compassion for uh the people in our lives that maybe are hurt and maybe are questioning the the goodness of god uh as you and i can do when we are in the middle of the crap storm of life all right so uh let's see here everspace Two was the next game that really got my attention. Let me also jump to the uh, Steam page on this one to tell you why I'm interested in it. Actually, no, this is the website for the game, Everspace.com. It reads, Everspace 2 is a fast-paced, single-player space shooter with deep exploration, tons of loot, and classic RPG elements. Experience a thrilling story set in a vivid, handcrafted open world full of secrets and perils on your journey to become human after all. Now, I looked at the description for Everspace 1, and it doesn't have those descriptions of like loot and RPG elements, and so it looks like this is a... Uh, kind of taking the game in a slightly different direction and anything that says like RPG type stuff is really going to get my attention and so uh, for that reason alone I'm interested I mean like I liked uh, what was the game called Inferno uh, a, a really uh, like an independent game Inferno and Inferno 2 was like a top-down space shooter action RPG and so if you want to combine you know, uh, flying ships, fighter ships in space, blasting away enemies and, you know, going through, make, maneuvering through environments, and you want to make that an RPG, uh, I'm really interested, because that's probably the only way I'm going to be able to <laughs> play a game like that, is if they let me lean on RPG mechanics. Okay, now this one. Dread Machine, coming to PC and Xbox One this summer. I'm a little sad that it's not coming to PlayStation 4, although, to be honest, I probably uh, wouldn't play it at the end of the day because it, I would probably be terrible at it. But it takes inspiration from shooters like Contra in terms of its mechanics, but the premise is, is so interesting. It, it basically uh, tries to create what a video game like Contra would look like if it would have been made in the early 1900s, where there were no video games, there was no video, but you did have, you know, little devices that people would entertain themselves with at carnivals that had mechanical parts in them and stuff. And so the guy, the, the characters that you're controlling are moving around in these uh, pre-created grooves on kind of a board of some kind. <laughs> and all the enemies that pop up are mechanical representations of uh, uh, of your enemies and stuff. And I mean, if you haven't just seen the trailer, if you're, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, you've just got to go to dreadmachine.com or do a search for the trailer on YouTube to see what it is that I'm talking <laughs> about here because it really is a unique looking aesthetic. Uh, and that alone, even though I would probably be terrible at the gameplay, uh, has me very interested. So hopefully it will come to PlayStation 4 at some point. At the very least, I'll be keeping my eye on it, watching reviews, and seeing if uh, potentially it could be my type of game if it came to PS4. But again, that's Dread Machine. And then the last game that jumped out to me was Disjunction. 
Over at disjunction-game.com, it reads, Disjunction is an upcoming cyberpunk stealth action RPG set in a dystopian New York City in the year 2048. So cyberpunk is really big. I saw several cyberpunk games in this digital event alone. Uh, The game follows the interconnected narratives of three characters as they unravel a mystery that will change the fate of their city. Uh, So you can download the demo right on their uh, site at disjunction-game.com. And again, it's coming summer 2020, but I I like some uh, some stealth games as long as I'm not forced to only do stealth and have a bunch of insta fail stuff going on. But if you give me the Ubisoft option of doing stealth as long as I can and then guns blazing, uh, which it looks like this game is going to allow players to do, uh, then I'm interested. And if you want to put that in a sci-fi cyberpunk environment, my gosh, I don't think Ubisoft is going to be doing that anytime soon. So I'd love to see uh, what uh, disjunction uh, is like. Uh, so that's it, man. But man, it, it, it's criminal. It's criminal how many games I didn't mention. There were a bunch of PC games that was like, oh man, that looks cool. Oh, that looks cool, you know. But I had to limit it down just so I would have time to get this video out. But uh, if you want more gameplay uh, or information about any of these games, you can go to the Escapist YouTube channel and from June 12th through June 14th, they're going to be putting up extended gameplay videos. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be all the games that were featured in their uh, in their event, but um, many of them uh, is, is my impression June 12th to the 14th okay that hard sticky thing you pulled off that's part of the skull right and this pinkish white stuff is the brain yes might I suggest an alternative no no listen to me we can't turn back now I've got to know what they're thinking have you considered talking to them All right, sew that back on. We'll give it a try. Now it's my turn. (laughs) And you have my axe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I have no plan here. So here here I am just launching right into it. Uh, Hi, guys. I'm Peter Franson from ChristianGeekCentral.com and Spirit Blade Productions. I am joined today by Francisco Ruiz and Paul Powers of the Retro Rewind podcast. Thanks for doing this with me, guys. How are you? Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, it's awesome being here. That is terrifying, Paul. <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out how to turn this off. And you just I put the same filter, Paul. That's all I'll you do. Same, okay. Uh, we just finished recording uh, an episode of the Retro Rewind podcast where they graciously invited me on to talk about uh, 2000s Dungeons and Dragons movie, a movie that will forever live in infamy among fans <laughs> of Dungeons and Dragons, but we had a great time talking about it. Indeed. Uh, we were going to do like this summer of free themed kind of conversation where we were going to talk about the first episode of Record of Lodos War because it's free and you can watch it and it's kind of D&D-ish and stuff like that, but um, I was watching it and I was like, yeah, this is okay. I don't know. I'm not super inspired. Oh, come on talk about it and then paul said he forgot to, to watch it and so i just said you know what i had a plan b anyway i love it paul um i had a plan b anyway that i was going to rush us through record of lotos war to move on to oh, okay. so um what i've done here to go with our fantasy theme since we just talked about dungeons and dragons we're going to play a little game i have one two three four five uh retro by your definition 15 years or older okay retro fantasy fantasy movies okay and i'm going to read the description we're going to see which one of you is really the ultimate 
uh, retro expert. Okay. Ooh, I'm liking this. I'm going to read the back of the box description oh, no. of the story, but I'm going to leave out key words. Okay. Are we allowed to use Google? No. No. <laughs> okay. Bing, here we come. <laughs> so I'm not good with numbers, so you guys have to keep score yourselves. Okay. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep score. If we know it, should we like right. say our own name or say I know it or uh, how do you want? How about, ooh, do you also watch uh, the Game Informer podcast or MinMax? Because this is how they do it over there. Uh, mm -hmm. They say their own name. Maybe they get that from somewhere else. Where'd you get that idea from? I think I got name. that from, uh, there's a trivia podcast I used to listen to, but I don't remember what it's called. I like, but, I like, how do you feel about that, Paul? Saying your own name, is that weird? That always sounded like it would be hard for me to do, but how do you feel yeah. about it, I'm, I'm, we'll see. You want to board? I'll, I'll go for it. Okay. <laughs> okay. I can say Paul a lot faster than Francisco, so my chances are even better. So here we go. Here's the description. Okay. 15. Right, let, years me, let me read the back of this. Let me see if it matches. <laughs> 15 years or older. <laughs> a high flying adventure from the magic of blank. Blank stars blank as a grown up blank, and blank as the infamous blank. Joining the fun is blank as blank. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll, I'll start filling more in on the second pass if you can't get okay, it this okay. time. Blank as the pirate blank. And okay. is blank. It, is Paul? Paul, what is it? Is it Hook? It is Hook. Oh, yes. man. Hook, a high-flying adventure from the magic of Steven Spielberg. Hook stars Robin Williams as grown-up Peter Pan and Dustin Hoffman as the infamous Captain Hook. Very good, Paul. All right. Very good. good. So I got All one right. point for Paul. Okay. Next one. Mm -mm. Directed by Thrillmaster Blank, this edge of your seat adventure stars Blank as Blank, a tough talking, wisecracking truck driver whose humdrum oh, life on the road Francisco. takes a sudden. Francisco, what is it? Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little That's China. Right. Oh, <laughs> so frustrating. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some more blanks in. I considered no, leaving no, out the, no, tr no, no. the truck driver thing. Ah. I was like, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> truck what the truck driver. driver. Come on. I, I didn't get it. Actually, I was going to guess Big Trouble, and then you, th you threw in truck driver, and I'm thinking, <laughs> what? <laughs> Is the BJ and the bear or what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, mm-mm. Journey into a mystical time and place that belongs to neither the past nor the present, where extraordinary creatures of myth work their incredible magic, and where a horrific, omnipotent blank is the ruler. This is, it is the part Paul. What, what you got, Paul? Legend? No. This is the planet of blank. Prince Blank sets out on a daring mission to rescue his young bride who is held captive by the Blank. Paul. Francisco. Oh. What you got, Paul? Spaceballs. No. Okay. Francisco. What do you got? Krull? Krull is yes! correct. Oh. Krull is correct. Journey into a mystical time and place. Blah, blah. A lot of that could be any fantasy movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I left out, uh, let's see, we're extraordinary creatures, da, 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 where a horrific omnipotent beast is the ruler because they call him the beast. Uh, and the planet is called Krull, so that's going to no, give it away. the planet's gotcha. called Spaceball. Prince Colwyn. Would that have given it away, Prince Colwyn? No. no <laughs> I've seen it one time. It's something about, there's just something about that that sounded like Krull, so it's a good <laughs> <laughs> and lots of people are guessing in chat also by the way but oh, okay, nice. this oh, is your thing i'm not it. reading them 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, famously or not so famously, Liam Neeson. Uh, this yeah, was, isn't uh, that? This was yep. one of his first movies that mm-hmm. he was in. Um, there's a riff tracks for this that I haven't uh, bought yet, but I'm thinking of it. Oh, cool. <laughs> All right, let's see here. <clears throat> From legendary filmmakers blank and blank comes one of the most beloved fantasy tales of all time. So you better get this, right? This groundbreaking film features stunning special effects, dazzling action, and a classic battle between good and evil. This is going to be so many things, right? Uh, Paul, what you got? Is it Star Wars? It is not Star Wars. Francisco? Francisco, what is it? The Dark Crystal? We we continue on. When young blank finds an abandoned blank. Oh, Francisco. What do you got? Never ending story. Wrong. Okay. I, I should be out. I should only get like two guesses. He is. Yeah. Well, I'm not doing the rules very well for this. <laughs> he is suddenly thrust into an adventure filled with magic and danger. According to an ancient prophecy, the sacred blank is destined to end the reign of the evil blank. Now with only a single swordsman at his side, Blank must overcome the forces of darkness that threaten to destroy anyone who stands in the queen's way. Let me cycle back. I'll put some blanks in. From legendary filmmakers, blank and blank. I'm going to leave that out. Most beloved fantasy tales of all time, blah, 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 blah. When young blank finds an abandoned baby, he is suddenly ah, thrust into ah. an adventure filled with you magic and danger. Yeah, I know it. According well, to an ancient prophecy, ahead. let's see if you can get it, Paul. I'll, I'll take the blanks out now. According to an ancient prophecy, the sacred child is destined to you know end the reign of the evil sorceress Queen Bavmorda. Oh, Willow. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Willow, Willow. Classic, classic. Oh, gosh, uh, I should I have spoiled my guesses. <laughs> All right. Uh, last... Last one, I think. Oh, um, how long have we been going here? Oh, well, that's uh, four so far. So yeah, if you want to do one more. Yeah, this is, this we're, is... we're all tied up. Okay, all right. you are. All right, yeah. here's the breaker. Two and then. two. <laughs> all right, this is what the back of the box says for this one. Oh, Admit no. it, you love blank. Dungeons no matter. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how many times you've seen it, you can't get enough of its sword and sorcery, witches and wenches. Hot bodies and outrageous action. Oh my gosh, this is in my collection? Uh, (laughs) Now experience it all like never before in this new Divimax special edition. Blank stars as Blank, the mighty warrior prince with the power to communicate with Blank. Together with loyal bodyguard Seth, luscious slave girl Kiri, and his best and his beast friends. Oh, 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 Francisco. What do you got? The Beastmaster. The Beastmaster. <laughs> nice. So, is that Francisco for the win? Yes. That's definitely. Oh, wow. But really tied up there. Yeah, I got to say yeah. that both of you guys are certainly retro experts. Is there, <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> is there like, um, is, give me like, give me, I want each of you, like your highs and lows in all, uh, how many years you guys have been doing the Retro Rewind podcast now? Uh, almost eight years. It'll be eight in November, I believe. Wow, nice. Okay, so in all that time, give me each of you one high. Like, uh, I was so glad I got to watch this movie um, to to record an episode of the podcast. And then I want your lowest low of like, 
I, man, it really sucked more than any other movie to have to watch that movie. Oh, well, that, that's easy for me. The, the sucky one. The, the, the high oh, you need, you need some time? I need some time. I can, I can edit this. I can edit this. Oh, okay. All right. So you had some time to think about. So these answers now have to be amazing. But let's nope. start with. They wanna, will be the best, Peter. I want to <laughs> ever because I'm Domador. I want to end on a positive note. So let's start with like the 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 episode where you're like, oh man, only for this podcast would I be willing to sit through that kind of experience. Uh, Francisco, let's start with you. So anyone who's been around the podcast any length of time or who's watched my streams knows this. Yes, my Python and the flipping Holy Grail. I just I hate that movie. So much. I think oh. I think I hate it more just because of all the the hate I get for hating on it. But, <laughs> but it is just, uh, it's not a movie. I hate that. It, there's no real. Yes, the grill is kind of a through line, but I want it's it's very clear. Like just a bunch of skits put together that kind of equate to each other. I want like yeah. a story that c- carries throughout the whole thing. I mean. And the characters in of themselves, like I know for you, Peter, you've mentioned on our show how character and performances can bring about so much, can over can overcome a story. But yeah. I didn't think these characters did. I the only comedic moment. There's only one comedic moment in that movie that I liked, where the 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 coconut guy says, "It's only a model." Where it's like breaking the fourth wall. That's the only part I like. Every mm. other part is just like, "Why? Why am I watching this mm. movie?" Yeah. So that's my low point. Oh man, and that's episode twenty-six. That's me versus like seven other people on the podcast. So did they all love it? Yes, of course they did. (laughs) I'm with you, but for different reasons. Um, The the movie was quoted to me endlessly and repeatedly throughout junior high before I ever got around to seeing it. And by the time I saw it, I was like, I've seen all of these jokes delivered multiple ways. None of them were, you know, on target with, with what they were doing here. And they're just bad imitations. But I mean, it's all ruined for me in the same way that oh, like yeah, the yeah. Princess Bride is almost kind of ruined for me. I don't oh, know. sad day. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Okay, Paul, what's, what's your low point <laughs> movie experience with the Retro Rerun podcast? Right now, I'm just dumbfounded that you were about the Princess Bride. <laughs> that, I, that I equated the two. Yeah. Those two movies. <laughs> if, if the podcast had a sacred cow for Paul, that one we will not cover is Princess Bride because right. apparently it's per- a perfect movie. But whatever. You know, it's been long enough. It's been long, in all fairness, it's been long enough that I think I would find it charming and a lot of the jokes would have uh, I, faded from my memory. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Holy Grail jokes would have. They were drilled into me so much so much but i think i think there's hope i think there's hope for me and the princess bride paul okay good oh he just left in anger no no (laughs) (laughs) all right as long as there's hope but there is um so the question is what what is the worst what is the the just the worst experience you had watching a movie where afterward you're like man only for the sake of this podcast do i put myself through these kinds of experiences (laughs) I'm I'm rethinking my answer. Oh, because I was going to say um Alvin and the Chipmunks with the snakes. <laughs> what a, where did it go? Now what am I thinking? All right. No, I'll stick with my original. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um sorry about that. <laughs> 
I do have, I'm, I'm trying to think there, the way you just described that reminded me of something that we just did recently, Francisco, and I can't think of what it is. And a movie like, that doesn't seem to connect together. No, a movie that I was like, Oh, please let's just, Oh, it was a game, not a movie. That's oh, Final Fantasy seven. Final Fantasy seven. Oh. Because like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I have been, it has been hyped as one of like the best oh, games ever yeah. made. And I have never played it before. And those graphics and the controls of the oh, yeah. is just, it, it, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I it, several times through playing it, I wanted to call everybody and say, forget it. Let's just cover the remake. <laughs> You played the whole game for the Retro no, One podcast? No, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, somebody did. Our our guest, I forget his name. Logan Sharp, the, the theologian. Yes, the, the of course from the uh, Reform, Reform Gamers podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, he he did. He uh, what is it called? He platinums everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> the pot but i that was such a nightmare i i have you played I, six six holds up so much better have you played six or three as it was originally well, on the super nintendo Paul watched me play six on my streams okay okay <laughs> okay better yes with okay but that's right. not a movie. you want a movie yeah a movie. yeah a movie um as as slow and agonizing as 2001 a space odyssey oh yeah. i forgot about that yes i knew that going in because i had seen it Mm. Yeah, but what the one that just saddened me because I kind of it was Beverly's Hills Ninja because oh, and it's like oh I like him I enjoy him and then it can't be that bad but it was so disappointing how bad it was yeah oh, no yeah. no you like that one you like what like that's that's what about Black Sheep how do you compare it to Black Sheep. I, I honestly haven't seen it since it came out. Oh, okay. So. I liked Beverly Hills Ninja. I thought that really? was okay. fun. Yes, and I'm a big Chris Farley fan, which maybe yeah. you know helps that out quite a bit in sure, my sure, case. Sure. Yeah. But I think, I think Black Sheep, um, at least when you compare it to Black Sheep, Black Sheep felt like too much of a rinse and repeat of Tommy Boy. Mm-hmm. um and yeah, uh, boy is so good in my opinion that it it's is it's to... such a such a great experience for me it had that... Joe whitey in it <laughs> what, what? that's who kill whitey i don't know who that is no that's a line that they that he shouts from the stage isn't that in black sheep where oh oh i don't i don't remember i've never seen black sheep so yeah i've I've seen it yeah i've seen it twice in my life he's Uh, like riveting up the audience and then he yells kill whitey and everyone's like oh Oh, geez um okay if you want to hear that saddens me a little bit, but, yeah. uh, you know, man, yeah. that, that was hear, low point. Oof. Yeah. If you want to hear me and Paul both not really care for and be disappointed with Beverly Hills Ninja, that's episode 44 of our podcast. Yeah. Okay. Have you seen Almost Heroes? That's no. the last movie he made. I that's heard. sad to watch. That's yeah, hard to watch. I, I've heard that. That's, yeah. That, and that's why I haven't. I don't want to. And it's yeah, also- he's. He's looking in rough shape in that movie. Yeah. Mm, that's yeah. sad. Um, well, let's break out of this um, <laughs> and let's get to the high points. What are okay. Sir, Francisco? Will, sir, actually, you know what? We'll go to, we'll go to Paul this time. Paul, okay. what is like, you're like, wow, I am. This was a great, this is a great day to be uh, a part of the retro rewind podcast. Maybe the greatest day as far as like movie enjoyment is concerned. I can't live up to that. Sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. The least painful, maybe. 
I'll, I'll give it a soft build that will lead to Francisco. Okay. All right. It was an unexpected gem for me. And this was uh, uh, one of our patrons who, if you subscribe at a certain level, they get to pick the movie, and whether mm-hmm. we've seen it or not. And this one was the movie Speedy that was picked for, by one of our patrons that came out <laughs> like the 1920s or something. 1928. Speedy, like the sidekick of Green Arrow Speedy? Yeah. No. Well, it is that name. <laughs> oh, but it's not the character. No. <laughs> what the this, crap? This is a silent film that Ooh. I, that, yeah, I, I had never seen and I was pleasantly surprised by. So, huh. and I would have been, a, I, I would have never seen it if it weren't for this podcast and that I enjoyed it. So I was glad that because of this podcast, I was able to uh, enjoy it. Awesome. Nice. Nice. How about you, Francisco? I didn't really care for Speedy very much, but yeah, one ninety for Speedy it was it was too quiet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where's the talking in this? <laughs> um, for me, the episode and it's it's interesting. It's I I would have said so for one of the summer freeze we did this thing where it's like called the movie club that we we would watch a movie and also talk about it for. Uh, for uh, Christian Geek Central, um, like the spiritual themes of it. And one of the movies for that was 1984. And that's oh. like, that was a movie I'd never seen and wish I had seen. We didn't end up covering it on the podcast though. So, um, but in that similar vein, the movie that I'm really happy to have actually finally seen was Akira, the anime oh. from I think 1985 or 86, something like that. And that was just really impactful for me in a similar way to the way 1984 was impactful. Um, I mean, visually it was stunning. I couldn't, I, it's hard for me to believe that animes could look that good back then. Mm, yeah. Um, but it, there, the, it, it does have its slow parts and there are parts that you sort of have to slog through. And it yeah. definitely made me want to read the manga, the manga, mm. because mm-hmm. it fleshes out. I've, I've heard that it fleshes out a lot of the things, especially some of the things that I commented on the podcast. I wish they had gotten into this more. Hmm. Um, so it definitely makes me want to get into the manga, but I, I just, the whole idea of the, how we can become so disconnected from society and so inward focused and how that rips the society apart. I thought that was just a really important thing to see and how it can sort of, um, how it can bubble up in a society to this point where we're just like, we don't care about kids. If they have a special power, we're just going to enslave them and make them do our bidding. It doesn't matter. And mm. oh, we'll dissect them. And just, I, I know there's a lot of, of uh, a, a lot of that that resonated with how, how I hope the world doesn't become that. And, mm. and why, and, and how I think it made me appreciate Christ all the more and us who believe in Christ and put our hope in him that, um, I think he, I would I would hope he comes back before he gets to that point. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. That makes me, you know, just today I recorded and uploaded the first uh, installment of the the, the Summer of Free mm-hmm. and it just so happens that one of my secondary it wasn't my main movie recommendation for the week, but I did a couple quick recommendations and one of them was Akira. Oh, uh, cool. because it's available over on I want to say 2btv.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like that's an easy recommendation because even though it, you know, can be really weird and like kind of a what the crap yeah. experience, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's uh one that like um, just about any geek 
it's worth their time at least trying out, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and you mentioning all that stuff makes me think, man, I think last time I watched it, which was like two decades ago, oh, I, wow. was not, I was not tuned in <laughs> like, <laughs> like you obviously were. And so maybe I need to give that uh, another try. So uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, thanks, yeah. thanks. So uh, Peter, one thing that I, I'm curious, you asked us what our like high points and low points are. I'll, I'll keep it even simpler than that. I'm curious, since we've had you on for now six times with Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. uh, what's sort of your high uh, point? Like what's your, what movie are you glad you got to rewatch for the podcast that you may not have otherwise. So, and just to refresh your memory of the movies you yeah, uh, I don't hosted remember. on, uh, you, were, you started off with Predator. Okay. Uh, then Last Action Hero, keeping the Arnold Schwarzenegger train going. Uh, Legend, The Dark Crystal, Judge Dredd uh, with Sylvester Stallone, and then uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, low points, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> no question. No question. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the the high point um, would probably be legend. I mean, hmm. pre- I would almost say predator. I mean, like it's not the one of those movies that I like the most predator mm-hmm. would maybe be the one that I like the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had seen predator recently enough that yeah. when I watched it again for the show, for, for your show, I watched it with a riff track because yeah. I was just like, I got to spice this up. I just watched this <laughs> like a month ago, you know? Uh, <laughs> um, but I think legend maybe, cause I hadn't watched that in a while. And yeah. I, I also watched, if I remember correctly, I watched the Tangerine Dream uh, score theatrical release that of that movie. Familiar. That sounds familiar. Um, which I had not watched in a long time. And mm. uh, because my preferred version of that movie, as soon as it was released on home video, was uh, the, the, the European cut, mm. which had Jerry Goldsmith's score and is a totally oh. different experience. Did either of you guys <laughs> end up watching that? After I want we... to. I still haven't, though. I no. just... I recently, this past few months, got access to that. So I hope to soon. Okay. Yeah. I'd be really curious. Shoot me an email or something, Paul, when you see it, if it's, if it's an improvement for you. I can't remember if you, was that a tragic for you guys? I can't remember. Do you, do you remember? Uh, we can't, we landed on, uh, let's see, you read Legend Classic, uh-huh. but we ended up with a disputed nostalgic. So probably gotcha. me and Paul both thought nostalgic. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah I'd be I, curious I, to see what you think of that, of that uh, European cut. And that was my first time watching Legend. So Oh, I, oh, I forgot that. I I was pleasantly surprised. Um also a little disturbed, but now <laughs> understandably so. A second time viewing, I'm I'm looking forward to. So I'm curious myself. Awesome. Cool. All right, yeah, All right, well, I'll, thank you, I'll, I'll cut right there. Oh yeah, thanks. I guess I won't cut there because I'll want your <laughs> thank you. That's very that's a very pleasant thank you. I'll just cut right here instead. Um okay, guys, so uh Plug your stuff. Where, what are you, what are you doing? Where are you at? How can people find you? What's going on? I'm pauljpowers.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say if you want to listen to our Akira episode and see if what we think, if it's something you think is right for you, um, that is episode 174, retrorewindpodcast.com slash 174. If, if we ever mention an episode name, you could just type in the, the, the web address slash and the number and you'll get there. Um, but yeah, you can find us at RetroRewindPodcast.com, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at, at FXRRetro. Nope, that's not <laughs> At RetroRewindPod. Uh, and we stream on Twitch. Uh, so the big content things we do uh, are the podcast, and also I stream uh, Tuesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays on Twitch 
twitch.tv slash retro rewind pod. Uh, so that's where those are the main places you can connect with me. And uh, when me and Paul are doing the podcast, both of us. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Well, I loved recording the episode of Dungeons and Dragons yeah. with you guys. And I really appreciate you guys uh, hanging out with me and talking of for course. a bit uh, for uh, for the Christian Geek Central podcast. And, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of like, I'm really bad at like connecting with other content creators and doing content with them and stuff like that. But, you know, whenever I get a chance to do something with you guys, I, I just I just jump at it because you, you guys have that uh, that welcoming presence. I just feel uh, I feel loved, you know, <laughs> or at least I feel liked, <laughs> and that goes a long way. So thank you for just putting that vibe out there, and uh, and again of for course. for being on with me. This was fun. Yeah, and we definitely love love you, Peter. Love having you on. So thank you for for sharing your insights and your experience with our the people that listen to the Retro Rewind podcast, and for everything you do for CGC. It, it's a big blessing to. So many people, I know it is. And so thank you, especially me being one of them. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. That's it. We'll have to figure out what the next thing is that we're going to do. Yes. Uh, what kind of like next summer? I don't know what the next opportunity will be, but I'm going to jump at the chance. So Sweet. be thinking awesome. of me. Okay, we will. <laughs> the future, a world where the quest for truth has ended. Do you believe in the supernatural, Mr. Vendarius? Surprise! The Shada will bring hell to Earth for thousands of years. Shock Division, kill them all! Spirit Blade, a full cast audio drama. Download the Legacy Edition of Spirit Blade for free at spiritblade.com. Incoming transmission. Over on our forums at christiangeekcentral.com, just one thing that I'm going to, uh, in the feedback section here, that I'm going to uh, point out this week, just because this has been a really busy week, and I didn't have time to dig through uh, more of my like comments and stuff that I got this week. So just one item I'm going to share here, and that's Adam David Collings, who posted uh, a thread titled, Comic-Con Free Online Event This Year. So this is not so much a conversation that I'm sharing as, as a bit of news that I, ha I have to say thank you to Adam for. Thank you, Adam. Um, he writes, so it seems that Comic-Con is going to be a free online event this year. Very interesting. And so he leaves a link to that, which you can check out yourself to read the details. Uh, but basically, they're going to allow... I don't know if if it's going to be an unlimited number of people. Let me see here. Um, actually, let me just click through the article really quick here. San Diego Comic-Con at home will begin July 22nd and free for all attendees. So it's going to be free for all. I don't know if there's going to be... Oh, no, let's see here. The big news is that it's free for everyone with no limits on how many can attend. Okay, that's cool. So I guess the only question on my, my mind is when... Is, is there going to be a registration of some kind? I would assume there would be. Um, and, uh, when does that start and end? They did say in the article that they're going to give more details on the whole thing as we get closer to that. But the dates, if you want to put them on your calendar are uh, July 22nd through the 26th. And I, for one, definitely plan on uh, signing up. This will be the first time in a long time that they're going to be putting panels from Comic-Con online. I remember, uh, gosh, it might have been over 10 years ago now, uh, at least five, um, when they were putting panels for that they would have like DC 
you know, panels for like Green Lantern or, you know, Justice League or, you know, whatever. Uh, they would have artists and writers and stuff and people would be able to, you know, ask them questions in the audience and, and they would put those online. And I found those really interesting to watch because they gave me a sense of where, what fans were thinking and feeling and what DC was responding to potentially and some of the decisions that they made. Uh, so I really enjoy, uh, watching those kinds of things. And so, but, but it's been years since I've been able to, cause you know, a number of years ago, they blocked them off behind the paywall of actually attending, you know? So, uh, this will at least be cool for this year, but hopefully as I suspect, you know, the, the COVID-19 situation and quarantine is going to do in many situations, they'll realize the benefit of putting these things online, you know, and that maybe in future years, we'll be able to see, uh, these kinds of panels more, uh, online and, you know, maybe still having to pay something or whatever, but, uh, anyway, um, yeah, so that, that'll be, that'll be great. It'll be a little bit like the good old days. Uh, let's see. So that's about it. I, I did get some other emails. Was having a cool, just a shout out to Drew Rubb, having a cool conversation with him via email about, uh, Stargirl. And, uh, I, I did not, uh, review that. I watched a little bit of the pilot and it was, it looked a little bit interesting, you know, um, and reportedly it does not have the sexualization in it that other CW TV, uh, DC shows do. Uh, and so we had to cool back and forth. He was telling me all kinds of stuff about uh, the DC TV universe and what's been going on there. But uh, I did think about reproducing some of that. I just didn't have time to to do the co- the copying and pasting and stuff. But anyway, Drew, uh, really cool talking with you. So thank you for that. Feedback, feedback, guys. Give me your thoughts. Strike up some chat on our forums at christiangeekcentral.com. Leave a comment at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral or patreon.com slash Productions. You type it. I read it and might even share it on the show unless you tell me not to or want to be anonymous. That's fine, too. You can also email me a text or audio message at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. Love hearing from you guys anytime and almost any way. So, uh, yeah, reach out anytime. And if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I would really like to help you do that if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we're serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that just seems to lack Bible-based intentionality, or maybe you're not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, a church that's going to teach Scripture well and care about you, I would love to help you find a church like that. You can email me at paeter at spiritblade.com, and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. And now for my Geek Week, what I've done, what I have planned this week... I finished reading the Kyle era, the Kyle Rayner era of Green Lantern. I mean, well, finished skimming. <laughs> I ended up skipping a lot of stories. You know, I I enjoyed the Kyle Rayner run in its day, um, but that was just because I loved the concept. And the whole time, I remember when I was reading that, that I was just itching for them to bring back the Green Lantern core because... I love the concept. Yes, I love what the ring can do. And yes, I love all the 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 artistic variety that came with Kyle Rayner using the ring. Um, but, you know, we don't... Actually, you know, it's funny. When they brought Kyle on and, you know, propped up the fact that he's an artist. And so his constructs look really cool and creative. 
Well, when he would run into other ring users, their contracts constructs would be created cre- uh, creative too and very, you know, uh, detailed and stuff. And so um, it was kind of like they weren't really consistent in that. Like, okay, well, if, if his constructs are, you know, cool looking because uh, he's an artist, then the other con- ring bearers should continue having more simplistic constructs. But they didn't, you know. And so after a while, I'm like, okay, well, if you could do this, if you were going to start doing this with constructs across the board anyway, then I'd rather have the Green Lantern Corps. And I'm actually a little bit tired of Kyle Rayner's just, uh, he's such, like, his one of his defining character traits is just being horny. I mean, ugh. I, I wish there was a, a less crass way to say it, but I mean, that is one of his defining character traits. And I realized that when I started reading some JLA comics and saw how he was being written there as well, you know, it's like, okay, if another writer is carrying these traits over um, into this character's appearances elsewhere, then somewhere behind the scenes, they said, this is who Kyle is. This is what, what he's like, you know? And, uh, yeah, he does have a pretty long-term relationship with Jade, but he's still just, like, I mean, that relationship, as you can imagine, doesn't ultimately work out, (laughs) as none of his relationships do. And even if there weren't, you know, crazy circumstances or tragedies or whatever that would lead to those relationships ending, they weren't going anywhere anyway that I could tell, you know? He would sometimes talk about, like, her, maybe she's the one. I'm like, how do you even know she's the one? All you guys do in your relationship is you flirt. It's a sexually charged flirting, and then I just see you together a lot. But I don't see you guys talking about anything of substance. (laughs) I don't see your relationship actually developing uh, based on, you know, what you think of each other and how you value each other and how you're interested in each other as people. (laughs) And Grant, you know, I know that's not what you read comic books for. And so I shouldn't be expecting that, you know, but, uh, if, if you're not going to, you know, play out relationships in a way that is going to be a little bit more substantive, then I'd rather the comic book not be about that at all or not pretend that it's about relationships and just, you know, let's get back to the core. Let's get back to the lore. Let's get to, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, so I, I, uh, yeah, finished up that run and, and ultimately found myself saying at the end of the day, you know what, as surprised as I am to say this, I would say only the first story arc where Kyle gets, first gets the ring, um, is really essential reading. Uh, so I don't, I'm not planning on making any essential issues videos when it, when the time would come about any Kyle Rayner run stories, except for his opening story arc about how he gets the ring, you know? I think that you can start reading Green Lantern Rebirth and you'll see that, okay, Kyle is known now in the superhero community. He is, uh, he's got, his costume is different and he's more sure of himself, you know? All of those things you would expect to happen, you know, over the course of a run. If a, a hero... He's, the longer he's in the universe, the more he's going to be known. The longer he's had, he's had his powers, the more he's going to be confident of them. And he's there's bound to be a costume change at some point, you know. But the the character has hasn't really changed in a significant way compared to other superheroes. Hasn't been on a a real journey that I think of. I mean, and at the time, yes, at the time, yes, you could say that of him. I think, but it's all relative, you know. Once uh, Jeff Johns and um, 
Oh my gosh, I'm going to forget her name and hate myself for forgetting her name. I'm losing geek cred again. This, why does this happen to me? What is her name? I love her as a writer. Um, she wrote Secret Six. She wrote Batgirl. She had a really well-known run on Birds of Prey. Oh my gosh. And, I, and she's, anyway, she's one of those writers that can write the phone book and make it interesting. I think maybe even more so than Jeff Johns. But around that time is when they started having very character-driven, or more, I should say, more character-driven writing in DC Comics. And uh, so anything that purported to be character-driven before that really just wasn't by comparison. So anyway, uh, I did start reading Justice League with the Grant Morrison JLA run and have been enjoying that. Uh, it's been interesting to see the the art as it moved into, you know, really leaning more on uh, computers. And like, we're going to use computers to do our coloring now and use computer effects with our coloring. And we're going to use blurring effects to show a sense of perspective, you know, uh, and 3D, you know, uh, vis- you know, 3D perspective and where things in the, in the, in the foreground are blurry, you know. And um, I, was, I was looking at this as like, oh, yeah, I, I remember back in the day reading this, like, this is the, uh, the big budget. This is the... The, the big budget comic book, the summer blockbuster of comic books. You know, they got all the main heroes of the DC Universe on the same team, and they are really coming out with their best uh, as far as the art goes. Although, uh, Howard Porter does the art for those opening issues, and it's more angular and... Um, it's more angular than I remember and less appealing to me than I remember it being. But, uh, but man, Batman is still showcased in such a great way in that first story. You know, they, they have to... I, this, I know I'm going to be making an essential issues out of this opening story. So I'm not going to say a, a ton about it. But, you know, for years, the, the Justice League had these B and C and even D listers on the roster. And so it was a real novelty at the time to bring together the most famous, well-known heroes of the DC Universe. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, Aquaman, and arguably Martian Manhunter, you know. Uh, getting them all on the same team, sharing screen time, interacting with each other. That's when it, you know, that's another way that it, that it became character-driven. It was about their personalities bouncing off of each other, you know. And, of course, Batman has a personality that bounces off other personalities there in interesting ways. And what else is really cool, coming back to Batman and his portrayal in that, is they really had to figure out, okay, how can we make, with all these huge heroes with massive power levels, how does Batman be useful in there? And so they really played up the spookiness of his character and the intelligence of his character and how because of his intelligence and his gadgets and stuff he can seem to other uh, heroes that are at his side and certainly to the villains that he goes up against he can seem like he is a supernatural being even though behind all that mystique it's a man you know uh so just seeing that was really cool I i think batman had never been more cool to me before then than he was in that first story of Justice League. And I became much more of a Batman fan after reading that. I was like, oh my gosh, Batman's awesome. You know? <laughs> so anyway, and then as far as uh, video games go, uh, I I can't remember if I had gotten into it by this time last week, but I, I ended up buying Darkest Dungeon. 
I think I did talk about this last week, and I am really into it now. I've just kind of accepted, kind of like, the, the trick was accepting that, you know, some of my party members are going, in fact, most of many of them are going to die. They're just going to, like, be recruited and do their thing for me and then be disposed of, you know. And then I got my main parties that I'm kind of de- developing over time. And I just really love that aesthetic, the the, the really dark aesthetic and the turn-based combat is very, uh, very snappy. Doesn't waste time on big animations and stuff. Just really, really enjoying my time with that. I don't know that I'm um, going. To, I think it's going to be kind of a Deep Sky Derelicts kind of thing, where I'll probably have these bursts where I'm really into that game and only that game, and then there'll come a point where I'm like, you know, I want to be, and I, I just want a first-person shooter. You know, I just want to do some first-person shooting. You know, so, but I, I think that the game itself, for as long as I'm in the mood for that kind of game, is going to keep me hooked. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's about. Um, the, the one thing that I would say I miss from uh, in Darkest Dungeon compared to other turn-based RPGs is the loot. I don't think the loot is really great uh, because your characters come with their own weapons. And the way you ba- get basically get new weapons is to buy them from the blacksmith in town, you know. And you can upgrade what the blacksmith is capable of producing for you. But you're not finding loot for your heroes to equip very much in dungeons. You're mostly finding resources that will help you continue through the dungeon or resources that are ultimately a form of currency that you use to upgrade your town. Um, Now, in in that or your estate, uh, which is kind of like a town too, that does have some appeal though. It does scratch that looting and upgrading itch. Uh, you're just looting and upgrading for this town, this estate that you're developing with the different buildings that each produce different things for you. One of them will like treat the mental illnesses that your heroes acquire from just the trauma of being in a Lovecraftian dungeon. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, or your wounds don't even get tended to, you know, you get full health when your guys come back to the town, but they'll come back with diseases. So that's, you know, another condition that can be healed, you know, Uh, or they'll just be stressed out. And so there are various buildings they can go to to pray or to drink themselves into a stupor or they go to the brothel or they just go meditate, you know, or these different stress relieving activities that you can, that are in different buildings and you can upgrade those facilities. So they'll be more effective in uh, restoring your, your heroes from how much they've been messed up from dungeon delving. Um, So it does still scratch kind of an itch of like, Oh yeah, I'm acquiring these things and that's going to help me have better heroes and, and stronger heroes. But I, there is a little part of me that's like, oh, I do like getting new armor um, and new weapons and saying, oh, think of the damage I'll be able to do with this. Oh, think of the damage I'll be able to avoid with this. You know, oh, think of the new thing I'll be able to do in combat with this, you know, and there's not really that element. You do upgrade those parts of your characters, you know, the damage output, the defense, the things they're capable of doing in combat. But that's all more through like the the buildings back in your estate where you're kind of training them. And so it's less frequent that you're experiencing upgrades or the possibility of upgrades, you know, in that way. So uh, so it's, it's a minor thing. I spent a lot of time talking about it, but uh, that was just, I guess, to have something to talk about. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was actually planning on keeping this segment pretty short and sweet because E3 has just been, or un-E3, excuse me, has just been 
taken up a lot of my time and my evenings as well. I don't have not had as much time uh, for one or two nights this week to play games and um, and to to do things that I enjoy because my uh, work days have been extended. Uh, and I've just had video games in the brain so much during the day that I'm not always in the mood. I'm kind of fried on video games, you know, that I'm ready to like, let's just watch a show or something at night and not necessarily a geek show. So I don't really have shows to talk about. So, uh, but yeah, I, but it's still a, definitely a part of geeky fun for me, you know, even though it's also been work as uh, to take in and just find out about all kinds of video game stuff that's going on and coming up. And what's been cool in particular is, and I hope that this would happen is that because you know it's not all concentrated in one week and there's a limited amount of hours in the day of that week that games can receive a, a spotlight during um you're you're seeing more of these indie showcases you know I was used to during E3 there maybe being one indie kind of showcase maybe maybe at the PC gaming show and then um one other thing would kind of showcase some indie stuff uh, in an extensive way. Uh, but even the PC gaming show focuses a lot on AAA titles as well, you know. So, uh, but now we've, we've got the, the Escapist thing that went out this week, and then we've got this Guerrilla Indie Games thing that's being co-produced with Kind of Funny, who's, you know, done a, a spotlight event on indie games in the past, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, it's really cool to see all these games that are coming out that I that I wouldn't have noticed before. And not only that, but a number of these smaller games are coming very soon, you know. Uh, and that's exciting, too. That's one of my favorite things about E3 is finding out things that I don't have to wait super long for. I hate, I really, I hate's too strong. But I really, you know, it kind of takes the, the, it deflates the excitement of an announcement to find out this is two years away, you know, or there's no indication of when it's coming out. And so it's been really cool, uh, just as a gaming geek, to take in a bunch of this uh, news and previews and stuff of games that look cool to me in particular, and that are coming out pretty soon. So, yeah, that's been fun. That's been fun. As far as this coming week, well, it's going to be more un 3 more Darkest Dungeon, I'm pretty sure. And I also think that I'm going to be playing some random games inspired by un 3 This uh, happens sometimes, not every year, but sometimes during E3, there'll be some cool game that's coming up that's either a sequel of a game that I already have, or it reminds me of a game that I already have. And so I look at that preview, I'm like, that looks really cool. And suddenly it gets me in the mood, because it's effective in what it sets out to do, it gets me in the mood to play that game or something like it. And so I'll find myself drawn to playing something that's already in my library that's kind of like that, that's, you know, either a game that is in the same series or a game that's kind of like it. And uh, already I installed... Uh, reinstalled, I should say, Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. I'm about maybe a third of the way through the campaign, I think. Um, not very far. I uh, did enjoy it, but there just came a point where I was like, okay, I, I think I'm done with this for now. The story missions in Spider-Man uh, can be can feel a bit confining, you know. Um, but after seeing that, that uh, preview um, for the Miles Morales Spider-Man thing that's coming out. I was I was reminded that I love Spider-Man, reminded that I love Miles Morales, uh, reminded that I did enjoy playing that game, and so I installed it, and we'll probably get into uh, some of that again. And maybe even Homefront the Revolution. I've still got that installed. Um, I, I played it for a little burst a number of weeks ago, 
and uh, ran into one story mission. I was like, ah, crap, I died, you know, and I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> but I think I know how to get past it if I, you know, booted it, booted up again. I just haven't gotten around to it. But with all the stuff I'm seeing, there's lots of cool first-person shootery stuff. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm going to be in the mood for playing um, you know, a Far Cry style first person shooter, which is what Homefront the Revolution is, that I haven't completed yet. And I haven't even, you know, come close to completing that game. So, and the last time I got into it, I did figure out kind of how to enjoy it. You know, as, as I think I've mentioned before, one of my complaints with Homefront the Revolution is that because of technical issues, certain enemies will only pop into existence, um, you know, when you are getting closer to them. Uh, and so, you know, sniping enemies from far away is sometimes not reliable um, because, you know, you'll you'll snipe out three enemies and then when you close into that area, new ones have spawned in. And I'm like, what the crap? You know, so there's just some weird stuff going on there. But if you just say, okay, I'm not going to be a sniper, I'm not going to play this game like a sniper, and I'm not going to rely on my minimap as a reliable indicator of the enemies that are around me, I'll just use my minimap to navigate my way around the city and not get lost you know so i use it for that but i'll just use what i'm actually seeing uh, on the main display of enemies you know to determine uh what's uh what's actually around me that i have to deal with and it's it was fun it was fun like the open world stuff especially was fun it was a story mission that i was like ah oh, man i feel like i was kind of limited here you know, um, I wasn't able to kind of uh, avoid da- getting damaged in the way that I could in an open world game where you can just run away for a little bit, you know, but I was a little too confined to be able to do that in this situation. But anyway, yeah, enjoying it um, enough. Just talking about it now kind of makes me want to get back to it. And by the way, I think it's still on sale on the PlayStation Store. Let me actually just really quick, while I am talking slowly and trying to fill dead air home front the revolution on playstation 4 let's see if it's still on sale i thought it was it is it's on sale 75 percent off so it's for for until um until june 24th uh at midnight uh it's 4.99 so really cheap game um and uh yeah it's definitely check out reviews beforehand oh and i should also mention just while i'm mentioning sales and stuff like that um one of my favorite games of all time pillars of eternity the first game on playstation 4 is deeply discounted right now i think it's 11 or 12 dollars something like that Uh, so if you've been considering well actually you know what i better just make sure that that pillars of eternity complete edition i just want to make sure that sale hasn't ended no 12.49 and that's also until june 24th um so if you haven't pulled the trigger on that yet and uh, you, you've uh, been kind of curious about it or thinking of getting around to it. Uh, that's a major discount. Um, I mean, you can get it at GameStop. I got my copy at GameStop for 20 bucks, you know, a few years back. Um, but uh, $12.49 is better than 20 bucks. So anyway, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm seeing some good discounts this week and still looking forward, though, for the, the big summer sale, which I su- suspect they're going to be launching later this month or very early next month. But... Uh, anyway, so that's kind of what's on my mind in terms of my geek week. That's all for this week, guys. Um, 
Stay tuned. Oh, oh, you know what? Let's see here. I gotta thank. I want to thank um, Francisco Ruiz and Paul Powers for joining me on the show today. I had a lot of fun hanging with you guys. So thank you, Francisco and Paul, for that. Uh, stay tuned after the credits for B Five Shawarma with Adam David Collings, commenting episode by episode on one of his favorite sci-fi shows, Babylon Five. Or you can jump back to episode five seventy-five if you want to start at the beginning. Next week, if God allows it, uh, there's going to be a bunch more un. E3 that I'll be talking about. Maybe some other stuff too. Maybe a video game review. I've got a, I'm thinking of reviewing Desperados 3. It'll kind of depend on whether or not I can buy a physical edition uh, of the game um, on uh, on day one. So, uh, yeah, but it, it has my eye. We'll see. Uh, but video game, video games is very much going to be a part of next week, uh, if God will allow it. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards, a bunch of archived rewards as well, by becoming a Spirit Blade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash Productions. I'd also be grateful for uh, positive reviews wherever you find this podcast and I want to say thank you again to all you guys listening Uh, thank you for making time for this show I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth the Christian Geek Central podcast is a community supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions this podcast is produced by Painter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. And so it begins. What do you want? I want it all back. Nothing's the same anymore. Why do I still have to remind myself that she's gone? Why don't you eliminate the entire non-homeworld? Stand between the darkness and the light. Declaring martial law. Tell my own government wants to kill me. Get off their encounter-suited butts and do something. Any crew that executes an order like that is guilty of war crimes. Being a freedom fighter, it's a wonderful thing. But the pay sucks. Oh, we're screwed. Now get the hell out of our galaxy! And that was The Coming of Shadows. The title episode of season two and one of those big wow stories that irrevocably changes the status quo. The description on the Lurker's Guide reads, When the Centauri Emperor visits the station, Sheridan tries to keep Jakar from going after him. Londo and Reefer plot to expand their power. A mysterious man seeks out Garibaldi. This episode originally aired on the 1st of February 1995 and was the winner of the 1996 Hugo Award for the Best Dramatic Presentation, beating Apollo 13, 12 Monkeys, Toy Story and Deep Space Nine's episode The Visitor, which was an awesome episode. I would have been happy with either of those winning, to be honest, but yeah, this is amazing, this episode, and you can see why it won. The beginning of this episode gives us our first glimpse of Centauri Prime, the homeworld of the Centauri. We see the Emperor's Palace. The Emperor is an aging man, he's going bald, so he has no crest. He's planning a trip to Babylon 5, and as he stands, his servants offer him a fake crest to put on his head. He doesn't accept it. He's too old to bother with such pretense. Remember, the crest is a sign of status for the Centauri, and this man has the highest status in all the Republic. Sometimes I think our women are right to shave their heads, he says. He admires how they live without the trappings of status. 
And we see already that the Emperor is a different kind of Centauri. He isn't obsessed with the things that Londo is obsessed with. Now, Jakar is deeply offended by this visit. The Emperor of the Centauri setting foot on Babylon 5 is a great insult to the Narn. His family were guilty of countless acts of cruelty to the Narn. Sheridan points out that this Emperor has done nothing to the Narn and he has in fact made many concessions to them. Jakar doesn't care. Sheridan admits that 100 years of blood is a hard thing to forget, but encourages Jakar to see this as an opportunity to open a dialogue with the head of state of the Centauri Republic. You're wasting it on a tantrum. I shouldn't have expected you to understand, Captain. My mistake. I will not make it again. And we see Lord Reefer again. He's still plotting. He has a speech for Londo to make during the Emperor's visit. It makes certain predictions, which Reefer has organised to come true, designed to make the Emperor look weak and foolish. Veer is really uncomfortable with this conversation. Londo admits that he feels the same way. We have something in common. We learn that the Emperor has never seen a Vorlon, even in its suit. Over the years, the Centauri sent ships into Vorlon space. They never returned. Just a little bit of uh, development for the Vorlons there. So Jakar is making assassination plans, and his government approves. He is prepared to die. He's almost happy about it. His life's course is now certain. Take a moment to think about this. One of the primary cast members of this show is about to assassinate a world leader, knowing it will cost him his life. I like the conversation between Sheridan and the Emperor in the observation room. The Emperor has never chosen anything in his life. He was born into a role prepared for him. He did everything that was asked of him. It never even occurred to him to choose otherwise. Now he's at the end of his life, and he wonders what might have been. John has a few regrets in his life, but just a few. The Emperor has enough to fill a lifetime. So much blood, and for what? The past tempts us, the present confuses us, and the future frightens us, he says. But it's not too late to choose something better, to make a difference. The Emperor is going to make his first and last choice really count. It makes you think about your own life, your regrets, the choices you've made, the choices that you haven't. And before Jakar can actually murder the Emperor, he collapses of a heart attack. The Emperor, that is. He asks Stephen to pass along a message for him. It's very important. Lord Reefer is getting his people ready to take the throne. They'll need a show of strength. Londo remembers the words of Mr Morden. If you need another demonstration, just choose a target. There's a Narn colony near Centauri space, a listing post. Now, at this point, Londo is already on the road to darkness. He's got a lot of blood on his hands, although at first he didn't know what he was doing. But he hasn't gone past the point of no return. Last time Morden did him a favour, he was shocked at the deaths of all those Narns. If he does it again, he'll be going in with his eyes open, premeditated. Veer begs Londo, don't do this. I know you don't listen to me, but please listen to me one time. Don't do this. Londo makes his choice and sets his path. He asks Morden to destroy the outpost. It's interesting that we don't see Morden in this episode. We don't actually need to. It would have been just like one scene. 
but it does indicate that Morden is spending a lot of time on the station. Clearly he's there right now, and Londo is aware of that. Veer agrees to go find Morden. And someday I'll remind you of this conversation, he says. Maybe then you'll understand. I already understand, Londo says. By this time tomorrow, we will be at war with Anand. May the great maker forgive me. Alright, let's think about that statement. He's asking for forgiveness in advance. He knows what he's doing is wrong. He knows this is a sin. He knows he'll need to be forgiven for what he's about to do. But that doesn't stop him. Just think about that. Meanwhile, Jakar is not a happy chap. He's put all his affairs in orders. He's made a will. He had the dagger in his hand. And then the emperor has the indecency to start dying on his own. He feels cheated. I mean... Jakar doesn't have to die anymore, but he still feels cheated that he doesn't get to kill the Emperor. And Franklin comes to him with a message. I love this scene, it's so moving. The Emperor was looking forward to meeting Jakar. He wanted to say he's sorry. He came out all this way, he risked his health, so that he could stand beside Anand in neutral territory and apologise for all the things his family and people did to the Narn. We were wrong, he says. The hatred cannot end until someone is willing to say I'm sorry and try to make things right again, to atone for our actions. This is the one and only choice he's ever made in his life, and now even that has been taken away from him. I had no idea, Jakar says. I'm sure you didn't, Franklin says. Maybe that's the biggest damn tragedy of the whole story. And then we get Londo's vision while he sleeps. We've already established that Santari have prophetic visions, so we can assume this is no mere dream. First, he sees a hand reaching out of the stars, as described to him by the Technomage a few episodes back. Then we see an image of shadow vessels flying in the sky above Londo as he looks up. They sweep over the Santari palace. We see Londo, an old man, wearing the seal of the Emperor, sitting on the throne. Then we see Jakar with an eye patch. Londo and Jakar choke each other to death. Londo has seen that he and Jakar will strangle each other to death before. He'd seen this vision before he even met Jakar. This is the future. JMS likes to show us what's going to happen, but he doesn't always explain why. The fun is figuring it all out and coming to understand the context. After the shadows destroy the outpost, Reefer has the Prime Minister killed. So at this moment, Londo knows the attack is happening. Everyone will soon find out. Jakar will soon find out. But right now, Jakar is the happiest he's ever been. The Centauri Emperor apologised to him. I love how Londo thinks that Jakar knows about the attack, but in fact he's wanting to buy Londo a drink, which he does. There is hope for us after all. I believed your people only capable of murder. Apparently there is still a spark of decency in your genetic code. It's a small thing to build on, but it's a start. How Jakar must wish that he could live in this moment forever, surely. This is the happy ending. This is where the episode ends, if it were any other show. I love watching Londo's face through this scene, all this stuff Jakar is saying, and he knows what's going on. This is awesome acting from Peter Jurzik. I mean, if this was any other show at the time, at this moment, Londo would, like, try and call off the attack 
and they'd all live happily ever after. But we know that doesn't happen. But this is a friendly moment between the two rivals. Do you think they will ever have another one? And then Jakar finds out. And we get this powerful scene as he runs through the station, looking for Londo to tear him apart with his bare hands. And he'd do it. He would totally do it. This is such a powerful scene. We see Jakar's pain. I reached out my hand and he betrayed me. He knew and he betrayed me. They're doing it to us again. Andreas Kutsalis' acting here is amazing. This is your Farscape-esque raw emotion right here. Gut-wrenching stuff. Sheridan is there to be the voice of reason. He wants to help the Narn, but if Jakar goes in and murders Londo, he'll be either dead or in prison. He won't be able to help his people. You're going to have to decide what's more important, Sheridan says. Revenge or saving the lives of your people. There are only two things that Jakar has ever cared about in his life. The first is revenge on the Centauri for the previous occupation. The second is the well-being of his people. And in all this pain, with his heart ripping itself in two, somehow he has enough rationality left to choose what's best for his people. I'm gutted from watching this scene. I'm heartbroken for Jakar. Remember, in the pilot episode, we thought Jakar was the villain of the show. No one here is exactly what they appear. The Emperor finally gets a glimpse of Kosh. He asks, how will this end? In fire. When Reefa tells the Emperor what has happened, he whispers to Londo, you're both damned. Well, Reefa says smugly, it's a small enough price to pay for immortality? From the look on his face, Londo doesn't think so. So why does Reefa think that all of this stuff is going to give him immortality? Well, we'll learn a bit more about Centauri beliefs later on, but essentially power and like the throne is kind of a stepping stone to godhood in their culture. Reefa is an idiot. He's so short-sighted. He cares only about power and pleasures in this life. But then again, he's not alone. The same could be said for so many people. And we're not immune either. Often Christians get too caught up in this temporary existence. I know I do. Alright, take a deep breath. While all this is happening, there's another little subplot about a mysterious guy who is following Garibaldi around. He has him locked up until after the Emperor has left. The prisoner insists on speaking to Garibaldi. He says he brings a message. And that message is from Sinclair. I'm entrusting this message to my associate. He's sworn to bring it at any cost. There's more to my job on Minbar than just representing Earth. The President doesn't know about that bit yet, and I don't think it'd be wise to tell him. Sinclair, Sinclair tells Michael that there is a great darkness coming. The Minbari have been waiting for it for a long time. The messenger is one of Sheridan's, Sinclair's rangers. Some are Minbari, and some are humans. That's a big deal in its own right. They work together to prepare for the fight ahead. Their job for now is to patrol the frontier, to listen and watch, and return with reports too sensitive for regular channels. So we see here that Sinclair is still very much a part of the story. He's working in the background with the Mimbari, preparing for the coming darkness. This is our first introduction to the Rangers, and they'll be very significant in the future. So Sheridan convinces Jakar to attend a council meeting, where he convinces Londo 
to release the non-civilians rather than put them in a labour camp. Through all of this, Jakar is quiet, calm. I have received a communique from my government, he says. We swore we would never let this happen again. The Centauri have crossed a line we cannot allow them to cross. Two hours ago, the Naan government declared war against the Centauri Republic. Now remember, the mission of Babylon 5 is to prevent another war, to bring people together in peace. It's failed. Babylon 5 has failed. We're now facing an interstellar war between two major powers. Think back to the pilot movie, The Gathering. Think about something that Londo said to Michael. There was a time when this whole quadrant belonged to us. What are we now? Twelve worlds and a thousand monuments to past glories. Living off memories and stories. Selling trinkets. My god, man, we've become a tourist attraction. See the great Centauri Republic. Open nine to five. Earth time. All Londo has ever wanted was for the Centauri to regain their former glory. Now he has everything he ever wanted. But do you think he's happy about it? At the beginning of this show, Londo looked like he was the comic relief character. And now he's on this grand Shakespearean tragedy. Is he a villain? Is he the bad guy? What is he? Babylon 5 rejects such labels. Nothing is that simple. But one thing is certain. Nothing's the same anymore. See you next week for Gropos.